So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's great to have you because um, I really, mate, I've really enjoyed your monologues. <laughs> well, I, I well, thought yeah. I could do a good monologue, but you're, you're the, the ace, honestly. So... <laughs> Well, do you know it's a funny thing that that that's sort of deadline of of do I do I only do one a week. I mean, it's not exactly a big ask. I mean, some people are out there, you know, uh, holding court every day, more than once a day. I just do it once once a week, and it, it it's become so routine for me now. It's it's almost like a diary entry. Almost, it's just it's just a a record now of of what I've been thinking about in the week just past whatever it is that has particularly upset me in the no no, no I'll tell you what it what it is it, it is you are reading my mind word for word <laughs> because I'm listening to it well, going, uh, that's the thing yes <laughs> I think I think if I do make a contribution I think it's I think I do um I have I'm I'm wired I'm I'm in I'm receiving the same wavelength that most reasonable people are you know, I'm on that wavelength and I've got a platform and I say things on a Saturday night and I happily, I suppose, it is what a lot of people are thinking and it gets gives people reassurance because they are hearing what reasonable people think spoken out loud. And I think there's a catharsis in that rather than them having it in their own heads and having nowhere to go with it except maybe their immediate family. I think maybe it's Same. helpful to hear someone say it out loud like you know don't be afraid of this secret knowledge it's it's everywhere and i think that's maybe what is is helpful 100% 100% i mean it's just it's just in this i hate to use this word and term but it's really true neil we live in a clown world never as a kid would i imagine this world in 2023 it's bloody ridiculous and it, it common sense i mean it was never really common Okay, but now it's mm-hmm. just so scarce. So when someone just speaks out that you know what is just sense, and it's fine. You've got a nice you know, dog that's there. My, I'm a that you'll you'll hear them. I, that that's just if you speak to me in my in my house, it will be punctuated by my big hounds barking <laughs> at blown leaves and squirrels. Well, we I've got two but cats. Yeah, n- I've got two cats, so they might be meowing outside here. <laughs> Do you know, I honestly, the experience of the last couple of years has shown, I think people actually, because this is, I've got dogs, folk have got dogs, cats, kids, and things happen in the background of their lives. And I think maybe seeing it, that's what happens here in my house. I, and I don't even try to, I used to try to, <laughs> just like, well, no, that, this is, this is my life. This is my house. It's like that here. So you might as well see did you, it. If you're did you ever watch that video things. clip of the guy giving an interview and a kid comes in? And his wife comes to try oh, and stop. Wee, wheelie thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, I think yeah. it's maybe the. I think it's maybe someone who's in the house to help. I think she she looks more like she might be the child minder that has and the kids in that wee wheel along thing and has got away from her and gone into yeah. the, the room like, into the room like, where the guy's trying to hide. <laughs> and it's like no, she don't com- don't hide. She comes in on her hands and knees. Yeah. So no, tell me about hide. your it podcast. But you see, well, you said um, you've got a podcast. But I'll say you know you say about. I do. I'll just. You mentioned clown world. I think now when I look back, it has become full blown clown world. Obviously now, but I think when you look back with with hindsight, you can see the outer edges of it. You can see when it started. I remember, and now don't. I mean, don't take this the wrong way. But I remember uh, noticing, for example, that when I was 
uh, dropping my kids off at school. And then we, we, we spent some time in Australia as well. And we took the kids to school in Australia. And it was even more apparent there how many kids were their, their faces were up on the wall of the reception area in the school, almost like wanted posters saying, my name is whatever. I have a fish allergy, a nut allergy, a, a, a dairy allergy. I've got ADHD. I've got, I've got this anxiety disorder diagnosed. And I remember looking at that and thinking, that's all changed from when I was at that stage of school, when I was at primary school in Dumfries in the 1970s. No one had allergies and no one had diagnosed conditions and i remember thinking when i was you know when i was taking my kids to school and then as i say in australia i remember thinking what's happened here have uh, what has sensitized an upcoming generation of children to all of these everyday things uh, and and why are so many people getting diagnosed with this that and the other is that really helpful i don't know i'm not a medical pr professional but now when i look back on it that has that has also kind of been i think that was part of something happening, a societal shift. That, and now we find ourselves where we are, where we're, we're catering to everything under the sun, you know, duvet days and don't go and sit your exam if you're feeling down because you can you can do it another time. And, and if you're threatened or triggered by this, there's someone to help. And, and it, that whole thing, and if you don't think you're in the right gender, that's probably because you're not and you really should be taking all sorts of psychiatric and medical help to get to where you really ought to be. And I think it's, it's all part of something. And when you and now, now we've ended up, now we've ended up where we are, which is, which is a full blown, clown world but I think there was a slip I think we slipped our mooring a bit a long time ago and now we've ended up here but, but yeah. yes you see my podcast when the what do you, I mean what do you think of that am I you're a you're you are you're a medical man I mean what, what do you think when you look back it's a great question so I'm I'm only a few years younger than you I was born in 75 vintage year by the way um I grew up in um, mm -hmm. Glasgow I was born in Glasgow and um in a rough area, not like you. Um, it was very poor, deprived, Dremoyne, um, just next to Ibrox Stadium. And, um, oh, it's so funny that when I went to Greenfield School, which doesn't exist anymore, I remember going to school in a green T-shirt, bad move. Because they all came up to me and went, mm -hmm. are you a Celtic supporter? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> are you a Catholic? No, it's just a green T-shirt. Yeah, it's just a good teacher. Are you a Catholic? Are you a Pope lover? I'm four years old thinking, what are they talking about? Um, but you're right. I remember no one had allergies. No one had ADHD. No one had, you know, there was maybe one child who was slightly delayed behind and went to kind of remedial class. Um, I went yeah. to remedial class. It's, the funny thing is my parents took us to Pakistan over the summer holidays and they stayed longer for about a month or so. And I'm a little kid and I came back speaking to the teachers in Urdu and they're like, right, remedial class. <laughs> but, you know, that was it. You know, you didn't have people with peanut allergies and this allergies and that kind of, and, you know, ADHD. You didn't have that kind of stuff, autism. Whereas now everyone seems to have it. And what I find bamboozling is no one is asking why. So I'm walking along the coast. You're like this being the coast guy. Um, friends of my in-laws were over. We were walking down on, on, on a coastal path in Cornwall. And I said to this guy, so what do you do? And he goes, I'm an immuno immunologist and allergy specialist. And I went, there's an explosion of allergies, isn't there? And he goes, 
yes, there's a lot of allergies these days. I went, what's driving it? Not really sure. Isn't anyone asking questions? No, not really. And I'm thinking, this is the problem. You're an immunology allergy specialist and you're not interested to know why it's exploded. It's just people just accept things and just carry on. You know, there's an explosion of, you know, young boys and girls who say they're now in the wrong sex. Really? This has just suddenly happened and it only afflicts the Western world, not the poor little kids in Africa? Like, why is this happening? No one's asking questions. What they are saying is, right, let's give puberty blockers and let's cut off their breasts and do mastectomies and surgery. And it's so unethical and it's so ridiculous. But I feel like society now pampers, we pamper mental illness. We pamper ridiculous concepts. Um, and, and I don't believe... We're so interventionist just... we're, we're... So as well. We're so interventionist now as well. I, I think I think it more used to be the case that if you said something to your mum about how you were feeling, so let's imagine you lived in the world where you actually did that kind of thing when you were 10. I think mums used to just say, yeah, yeah, fine, just wait. You'll, be, you'll just grow out of it or whatever. You know, Don't worry about it. There was, But now I think as soon as somebody holds up their hand and says, I feel something, there's an intervention happens as though... Every every state of being can be treated with with something with with medicines. I think, I think you had a very nice mother. I, I think you had a very nice mother. If I said to my mum at ten, I think I'm a woman, a girl. I think she'd got get the slipper out. Yeah, well, <laughs> d- d- yeah. Don't get don't get me wrong. I'm t- I'm talking about you know. If I said to my mum, I just feel a bit sad. I don't want to go to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, most most Sunday nights. Most Sunday nights, I was diagnosable depressed because it was school in the morning. But my mum would just say, "You'll be fine. Just it'll be fine. Just give it to month. Give it to lunchtime, and you'll be all right. You'll you'll be different again." And that kind of. But now we intervene on everything. Everything's got a name and a label and a diagnosis, and you know. And so I'll ch- I'll tell you, I'll, I can join you with in the remedial class. When I was uh, <laughs> I I was partly I went to school for primary one in Ayr in Scotland, and then my family Ken, moved Ken to this, Ken that. And for some reason, I don't know why, there was no space. In, I should have gone into primary two, but there was no space in the class. And for some reason, I got put into primary three. So I missed out a whole year. Oh. And I got, I, I was, I, yeah. And so I got sent to, I don't know, I did, I did a couple of months of remedial class as well. Because I had to, <laughs> I came, I came from a world of sand pits and, and, the, and playing with water in the sink to fractions <laughs> in primary. <laughs> what? What are these? What's this? And so I had to get caught up a bit. And then, so yeah, yeah so you, you and me both, you and me both, we've both done our time in the remedial class. I love it. And we also have another thing in common, actually. So I have a passion and love of history and archaeology. Mm. I, I just love history. I just feel, I don't know about you, but I've, I, a lot of things have always sat very uneasy with me, even as a child. You know, I think there was something wrong with me. Um, for example, when we went to the pyramids um, as a kid, we were flying to Pakistan and we were flying on the cheapest airline, wow. Egypt Air. Yeah, Egypt Air. And our plane broke down conveniently in Cairo. So we spent three days in Cairo and we were taken to the pyramids and everything. And I'm just walking up Wonderful. as a little kid, eight, nine years old, in the great Giza pyramid, the cold, kind of slightly damp stones, the, the humming noise inside, these massive 
thousands of tons of stone all around us. And I'm thinking, who made this? Where are these builders? How has this been mm-hmm. lost to our history, to our memory, our consciousness? They just say, we think they were from 2,000 years ago. Really? We couldn't make these today if we wanted to. So I don't know if you've watched Ancient Apocalypse. It kind of blew my mind. I just feel nothing makes sense. This idea that we just came out of caves 10,000 years ago, eight, that just doesn't make sense to me. And you got things like Gobekli Tepe and... You know, so I, I'm very passionate about history, and I think also history teaches us so much in terms of how man has been subjugated and enslaved, and how we've tried to fight back and we've won our freedoms, and it's like a cycle; it keeps repeating itself. I, love I don't know what you think that series as well, Graham Graham Hancock. I loved, I loved that, and he's been treated with absolute disdain by the. Yeah, by the academic uh, archaeological community, which I cannot comprehend. I I studied archaeology at university. I wasn't. An, I didn't become an academic uh, archaeologist or anything. I was working as a lecturer. I just went digging, and then I changed paths and became a journalist and did other things. What so on and so on. Uh, however, when I listen to him talk, and I know it, what he's saying flies in the face of of conventional archaeological wisdom. But I just am fascinated by what he's got to say. I love the idea that he's got a different interpretation on places that are otherwise familiar to me and and have been interpreted differently. But I can't get my head around the fact that rather than at least listen with just like being told a great story, why aren't you just why aren't you just thrilled to listen to a great story? This idea of saying no, 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 that is just wrong. There is one way of interpreting. Whatever Gobekli Tepe, there's one uh, chronological interpretation of of Egyptology and all of the rest of it, and if you say anything else, it's heresy. I where's the joy in that? I love it when someone comes along and says whatever they say. I don't. So they say right, it was built by aliens. I, that doesn't make <laughs> me angry. Yeah, I don't yeah. necessarily think it's true, but I don't have that anger response that my that my understanding of something or the way I see it has been challenged or, or an alternative presented, I don't get that response. And I, what, what amazes me always has about places like Stonehenge, you know, I was on a, an archaeological field trip from Glasgow University. We went down in the third year and we went to Stonehenge and Avebury and, uh, you know, Silbury Hill and all of these places. And I remember thinking then, and it's sort of troubled me ever since, when, what generation forgot what Stonehenge was. Mm. You know, all of, all of that effort went into building Stonehenge and it was modified and the whole pro- it, you know, people were playing around with it for hundreds of years and adding to it and taking away. And and everyone at that during that period in that area would have known what it was for. Whatever ritual, whatever religion, whatever understanding it fitted into. And then even when they stopped, you know, because there's a, a time came when people weren't using Stonehenge anymore. It became like an abandoned cathedral, if you like. Mm. But the first generation, the children of the people that stopped using it would still have known what it was. They'd have said to their mum and dad, what, what's the big circle of stones? We don't, yeah. we don't do that anymore, but here's what it was. So at what point, at what, what generation didn't know what it was anymore? I mean, we've got like abandoned monasteries, for example, all over the countryside because of the dissolution of the monasteries under Henry VIII. And people stopped living in them and stopped 
and they just became big quarries for stone and people came and robbed the stone out and built other things with them. But we still know what they were. Oh, yeah. that's a monastery. That's a mm. Cistercian. That was an Augustinian. Whatever. We know what they were. So at what point did we? Did someone say, eventually turn around to mum and say, what is that over there? And the mum went, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. It's just a big pile of stones and you go and ask your dad, when did we forget what it was? And likewise with the the interpretation of the of the, the the Great Pyramid. Now that was thousands of people at least over a period of time to create that, and they absolutely understood what they were doing. And for a long time, it was there, and people knew what it was. By now, we're wandering around, going, "But what was it for? Why did they build it? How did they build it? When did we forget?" Is the question I always ask. I think I think you're hundred percent right, I, but I think this is. It's just one of many things that there's this amnesia in humanity. You know, we just we we just don't know so much about our past and who we are and what we're capable of. You know, I I, I just don't know. And you know, I look at the unfinished obelisk. This one thousand ton obelisk carved into a mountainside. One, how did they do it? How are they going to get it off that mountain and carry it? Whatever. Like, what technology? Like, are you talking? Are you seriously telling me like horses and like thousands of slaves just pulling on this thousand-ton piece of rock? I, I I just think it's fascinating and it just blows my mind. But talking about how Hancock was treated, I I think it's true of a lot of professions. You know, doctors, lawyers. Um, if you if you stray out of the herd, um. You kind of get looked at like, what's why is that person doing that? I think it's human nature. We're very tribal and herd like, sadly, because when you do go out of, you know, the mainstream narrative or whatever, you're looked at with either disdain or suspicion, and then you're an outcast. And actually, what you should realize is these people who are going out of, you know, the the flock sometimes are trailblazers. They're leading the way. They're showing, shining mm-hmm. the light on an area of darkness and knowledge or experience. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's a human nature thing. I think we saw it. We saw it writ large during the last three years when there was one interpretation of COVID, and there was and there was an there was an applied there was a set of rules come up with and applied, and any deviation from that was was heretical, and likewise. For people like me, who had the temerity to raise my voice and say, hang on, these things, you know, that you're calling vaccines, wait a minute, bang, you're not a vaccinologist, you're not a scientist, you don't know what you're talking about. And so therefore, just, there's no, that's an end of it for you. Just go away and do what you're told. So that, that was a, that was a terrible thing. As you say, anyone, the, the, the really good question, or indeed the really good answer could come from anywhere. You never, know, you just don't know. In a population of eight billion people, you don't know where the next really great thought's going to come from, and, and even if it comes from, you know, a, you know, someone unqualified, that does not, by definition, make that person's bright idea something risible to be cast aside. Let's listen. Let's listen to what the cowherd guy that's wandered in from the hills has got to say, because we might not be expecting a great idea from this person for whatever maybe prejudicial reason, but at, l- at least let's hear what he's got to say and see if there's anything in it. And But we saw that that, 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 was, the, that was the practice. And, you know, you say about the, the amnesia within, within society, 
I think that's a, a big part of it is that what's what's happening at the moment. We go through periods of this. Always have societies do this. That it's cyclical. But tragically, yeah. you know, Henri Bergson, philosopher, said it's the function of the brain to enable us not to remember but to forget. Mm. And he's right because you know you're deluged all the time with data and experiences and things every day. And if your brain tried to keep it all. It, it would be, so it's constantly really what your brain is doing is get, getting rid, as you know, of, of stuff all the time. Extraneous uh, ephemeral d data and experience just goes, and you mm. only keep a tiny percentage of that. It is the function of the brain to enable us not to remember but to forget. But I think a tragic consequence of that for society at large is that enough time goes past, people struggle out of a period of horrendous darkness and 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 ignorance and want and. And they, they manage by, by sheer will to build a functioning society and a civilization that elevates everyone. And then and then there's a few generations go by where people think, well, this is just how it is. You, you, you're born into something that works. And you make the mistake of thinking it's in the natural order of things that when you turn up at a bus stop, a bus comes. Or when you go to an ATM and put your card in, money comes out. Mm. You think, oh, this is just how it is. Forgetting yeah. that, no, actually... Chaos and disorder and death and war and degradation is actually the natural order of things. And if you don't take care of it, if you don't bother to pay attention, think, where did this come from? Why does it work? Let's maintain it because it, it, it's providing a good life for me and it's going to provide a, maybe even a slightly better life for my children. But by forgetting and taking it all for granted, people go, we don't need to worry about that. Life's great. You know, you just get up in the morning and there's food. People bring you food and you eat it. And here we go. We're doing it now. Enough people have, have not remembered where this wondrous civilization came from, and we're about to let it just fall down if we're not careful. Yeah, well, you're, what you summarize is that, you know, that saying when, you know, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create bad times, bad times create strong men, and, and it goes on and on. It's that cycle. And it's funny, you know, if you look at the the founding fathers of America over 200 years ago, what they were talking about and what they were warning us, it could apply for exactly what's happening right now. Um, and sadly, that's uh -huh. what happens. Pe people take for granted freedom. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast. It's, it's about health. People might be saying, well, am I talking to you? Well, I think it's in intrinsically linked. You know, health is freedom. Freedom is health. And, you know, you need the two to... Mm -hmm. to if you're not free, you can't be a healthy individual. And like you said, the last three years have been an eye opener. I think people have had different times. Some people kind of woke up at 9-11. Some people woke up at the Iraq war and their lies about WMD. Some people have woken up with this, you know, I, I think of it as a scamdemic, frankly, the last three years. And maybe some people might wake up tomorrow, but something's definitely, there's a rot, I think, in society. That's very interesting for me because you're you're with you you uh, have spent years within the medical profession within that that world. You're surround you are surrounded day by day by other doctors, nurses, and the, and the people that maintain the NHS and and all of the rest of it. And yet, at at some point, you maybe describe it. You you came to you came to realization and thought, hold on, this isn't this isn't what we're being told it is. This is something different, and, and and for you for that to happen to you from within that world, I, I was outside of that world. I was just a man in the street, looking on at 
what was happening in the world of health, supposed public health. So what was it for you? Because you were you were inside the radio transmitter that was pushing out the that was pushing out the information. How did you realize it wasn't right? That's a great question. I think it goes back a lot further, Neil. So basically, it, I've never really been in the middle of the crowd. I've always been an outsider. You know, growing up in Glasgow in the 1970s, I was the only brown kid in my class. I was the only Paki. Mm-hmm. I was the only Muslim. I've always been different. Um, and then, you know, it's funny. People say to me, oh, you've, you've got a very mild Scottish accent. You know, did you lose it when you came down south? I, I didn't lose it. I lost it when I went from Govan to Kelvin Side. <laughs> you know, people who who know Kelvin Side know it's Kelvin Side. So you know, I'm I'm going to a very nice school in Kelvin Side. Now I'm brown. I'm a Paki. I'm a Muslim. I'm working class, and I've got a thick Glaswegian accent. Well, the only thing I could change was my accent <laughs> to fit in. Um, and so yeah. again with med school, I'm I'm different. Everyone's parents are doctors, they're professionals. I'm working class background. Then I came down to England. I'm the only Scot, um, you know, working in in the hospital. So I've always been a bit different. Um, I've always thought differently. Um, I I was you know I I was very pro Brexit. I wanted to get out of the the supranational EU state. That was very different from most of my doctor colleagues. They all thought I was crazy. I left the NHS in 2017 because I, I saw what it was. It was a cult. I couldn't treat patients the way I wanted to. I wanted to treat patients like my family. That's a very unusual thing to do as a doctor. Most doctors are, are within the system, ingrained, indoctrinated. So I'm very divergent, I think, in the first place. And then when mm-hmm. the, the pandemic happened... Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was very tough because I wasn't earning. I was locked out of the hospitals, the private hospitals. I didn't have the furlough scheme. And you know, suddenly my income's dropped. I'm, I'm eating up my savings. I'm now thinking, how long is this going to go on for? Because even when the lockdowns lifted, it was closed to me because the private hospitals now were doing NHS work. So I still wasn't able to get into the hospital to work, even when other people were lifted. So I've got no income. I'm locked out. I'm isolated. I'm seeing everyone wear masks. These surgical masks. I'm a surgeon. I, we wear surgical masks to stop blood and fluid going on our faces. We don't do it to prevent infection. That's nonsensical. You know, my little daughter came home one day from school and said, Daddy, and she was five at the time, Daddy, these stupid masks, I don't understand them. The teacher's talking to us, but there's big holes here and big holes here. What is she going to stop with that mask? And I was like, there you go. Out of, the mouth, out of the mouths of babes comes truth. There you go. You know, you can't hide this nonsense from, and you know, children, they, they just see the truth, say the truth. They don't, they don't know any different. Um, but what I saw was medical ethics being thrown out the window. So what are medical ethics? You know, they're the principles by which, you know, doctors conduct themselves and protect the rights of patients. And, you know, these have been hard won over centuries. You know, people, you know, have built that relationship, that doctor-patient relationship over centuries. It didn't happen overnight. You know, how can you trust this doctor with your life, with your body, with your deepest secrets? You know, patient confidentiality. It's because there's, you know, these doctors are guided by medical ethics. And, 
you know, all I saw the medical ethics, the pillars of medical ethics being thrown out the window. So what do we mean by that? I'll just quickly go through it. I'm doing a bit of a monologue now. <laughs> so medical ethics are, you know, informed consent, informed consent. So you have to inform the patient of all the relevant pertinent details of the risks, all the complications of interventions and non-interventions. What are the risks? And we're not talking about relative risks. We're talking about absolute risks to that individual. Um, I didn't see that happening. You know, no one was told, you know, that it's actually not that dangerous. There was studies from the Princess Diamond cruise ship or whatever. You know, the fatality rate was very low. It was like yeah, 81 yeah, years old. Everything was there early on in 2020. And no one was talking about this. Everyone was making it feel like it was going to kill you. When actually the risks to people who are under 70 who are healthy is less than one in 10,000. You know, if people knew that, would they take an experimental gene therapy? I don't think so. You know, people were not being told that this was an experimental um, intervention. It wasn't actually a vaccine. It's been going, it's been something that's been studied for 10, 15 years. And as always, all the papers say, use with caution, you know, further studies required. And there was no real applicable treatment. The only time they've used mRNA technology is cancer treatment, you know? So to me, it was like, you've rushed at this process it's not properly informed. You don't know what's in these vials. You don't have any long-term safety data. You're not being told any complications. And the idea that it's just safe and effective is a lie. You know, I consent patients and I have been for 25 years. So when I consent a patient, I say to them, look, and nothing is guaranteed. You know, when you have an operation, there are potential risks and complications. The only way you can avoid 100% any surgical risk is not to have an operation. You can't be in a car accident if you're not in a car. So the, the moment someone jabs you with a substance, something could happen. And, you know, you need to tell patients that. You can't just say safe and effective. So informed consent to me wasn't there. And also informed consent has to be done without duress, without coercion, without incentive, without judgment. Um. But what happened to that? You had people like Trudeau and Macron saying, you know, if you're not getting vaccinated, you're dirty, you're a racist, you're a misogynist. You know, that, that's not in a, in a climate of, you know, you know, you have choice. And then when you start saying you can't travel, you can't work, you can't go to the pub unless you get the vaccine, the shot. And um, that's, that's not free of coercion. I mean, this, this is all manipulation. And what I found that, crazy that, was that where were all the doctors? 280,000 doctors in the UK. No one was saying, hey, what are we doing here? <laughs> and that's just one pillar, Neil. I could talk about more, but I'll let you jump in there. I was, I was just going to say the thing that really, that really upset me the most, and it, and it was information that came later, was that when, when the Pfizer uh, representative was, was, uh, was made to reveal, and then the, and then the, the the information that was released by Pfizer under duress because they were trying to keep it for seventy five years, but the, the the court ruled that they had to put some of the information out there. Seventy five years. That, 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 but it showed that they hadn't even been asked to test about the effectiveness of the product in stopping transmission, person to person. That wasn't even yeah. part of what they tested, and yet the whole thing, the whole. Uh, uh, get this jab was predicated upon you're not doing it for your own health you're doing it 
for the wider society. You're doing it to help everyone else by because you, even if you don't know you've got it, you won't pass it on. That was a lie because yeah. that was never even that wasn't even part of the the testing in advance of it going out. Let's let's find out if it stops it going person to person. No one did that. So this whole idea that you're getting it to to help the community was predicated on absolute nonsense. But, absolute but, nonsense. But, but, but Ahmed, what 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 was has been your experience? I mean, obviously, you know, I've been ever censored and silenced and shouted at and, and all of the rest of it. But but you as a doctor, and not just a doctor, but a, a real rising star surgeon type medical person, what is your future like now? having taken the steps that you have and and held your hands up and said what you've said what, what where do you go from here i just don't know <laughs> so basically i didn't i didn't speak up about the lockdowns and i feel really bad about that because i'll be honest with you i was duped i was in a bad place coming out of brexit i'd, I'd stood for the brexit party i was called a racist a nazi and it hit my my income all the GPs in my area stopped referring patients to me. Um, my practice dropped by wow. 50%. Yeah, yeah. It was awful. Um, so, you know, I've had every slur now that you can imagine thrown at me. And I, at the beginning of 2020, I was exhausted. I was saying to my wife, you know, I just want to get on with my life now, build up my practice. This is just, I'm tired. I'm just really down you mm -hmm. know like where do you know because i'm full-time private i don't have any regular income um you know it's, it's tough and you know you put your neck on the line for something you believe in and i don't have any regrets it was the right thing i was standing up for democracy um but then at the mm -hmm. beginning of 2020 suddenly we have this fear and this pandemic and so i'm in a vulnerable place and i'm like oh for god's sake two weeks if, it, if, if that's what it takes let's just do it and i fell for it and in hindsight it's the stupidest thing ever because it didn't make sense um, but the moment we did it and then we started saying, oh, you know, if you're sick and unwell, stay at home and there's nothing we can do for you. I thought this is just ridiculous. You know, this is absolute nonsense. We're just letting people die. I was like, this is a huge mistake. And I started um, getting messages from people who used to be in the Brexit party and they'd formed Stand in the Park, Telegram channels. And they started sending me videos and no stuff that you would say is conspiracy theory but it's actually all come to fruit. <laughs> That's a crazy thing. And at the time I was like going down these rabbit runs and getting really dark and conspiratorial and reading about adrenochrome and God knows what else. And I thought, this is, I'm going to go crazy. And this is dark. I'm going to shut off the news. The news was blaring red charts and you know, everything's terrible. So I'm off work. I'm looking after three young kids. And all I did was just spend time in the garden. Remember we had that glorious weather. I started digging out the pond. Yeah. I started filling that in. I raised, raised beds in with my wife and we started growing stuff. And that was the way I kept sane. I was just in my little bubble. And then eventually the lockdowns <laughs> lifted and they were starting talking about vaccines. And I, I started looking into them. I was terrified. And I was already kind of like on a journey in the last 10, 15 years where I was like, I don't understand these flu shots. It doesn't make sense. They don't work. I don't want them. What is all this nonsense about? So when they start saying, have this mRNA, which isn't even a vaccine, and previous vaccines for SARS-CoV cause ADE, ADE um, 
a, a, this enhanced um, dependent um, immunity or uh, antibodies. I knew this isn't going to work. You can't do this. This doesn't make sense. It's an experiment. Mm-hmm. But the problem was my wife, who's in the NHS, junior doctor, was totally indoctrinated. And she was like, we need to get it. We need to protect our patients. We need to get back to life. You know, you need to do this. So we're having major arguments now. And the thing is, she was part of Facebook groups of doctors, like 20,000, whatever. And it's all groupthink. It's like a hive Borg mentality. You can't question. And they would be very critical of any doctor like Sam White or any patients who questioned getting the vaccine, anti-vaxxers, they're already being coined in the Facebook world, you know, these anti-vaxxers, we need to, how we got to deal with these people. So in a moment of weakness, I, 13 minutes of weakness to prove my wife that I wasn't some crazy anti-vaxxer. She was, she was thinking I needed help. Basically I went and got the shot and the first one, and I felt sick. You know, Neil, I've actually been molested twice a lo- as a little kid. This was worse than that. I felt totally oh, violated. Yeah. Once in Glasgow I didn't know that. Um, and once in Pakistan, someone tried to fondle me and touch me. And it was very disturbing. And I screamed and kicked and ran away. And, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as uh, this was worse because it was in me. It was, you know, they, they didn't consent me. I asked what's in this and they were like, oh, it's the vaccine. I went, but what are the ingredients? It's just the MRA to produce these antibodies. I went, are you sure? Yes, I think so. We don't know the full details. And the next thing, bang, I was like, well, what about the risks? And it, nothing. And I've, n- I've consented thousands of people in my life. Never have I imagined that kind of process, me doing that to someone else. I mean, if I did, if I treated a patient that way or operated on a patient, never gave them consent, coerced them, said, Neil, you need this operation to get back to work. If you don't have this, you're a granny mm-hmm. killer. And you turn around, okay, okay, is it safe? Yeah. Don't tell you that I only started doing this operation three months ago. Are there any risks? Totally safe, Neil. Anything else I need to know? Yeah, you need another operation in a year's time. If you don't have it in a year, you know, it, it doesn't work anymore. Oh, is there anything else, Ahmed? Yeah, Neil, if you don't have this operation, you're stupid. You're a racist. We're going to stop you from working. But apart from that, you know, it's, it's no one's forcing you. You know, I mean, if I did that, mm-hmm. I'd be in jail. Um, so, yeah, I'm crying in the car, in the car park, thinking, why did I do this? What, what an idiot. I should never have been so weak. I should have stood up to my wife. Names are names. I've been called so many names. But I, you know, I really want, I want, I wanted the respect and love of my wife. And I thought she thinks I'm a crazy person. And you know, if this is what it takes, I'll take, God damn it. I'll take the shot. Anyway, big mistake. And I decided never again, I'm not going to have any more of these shots. And I didn't. And that was a, a, a problem for my wife and I, she ended up taking all three. And then I was thinking she's going to get my kids to take them because she believed in the flu vaccinations for them and all the other nonsense. But um, yeah, I I I was in a in an unhappy place, and it's difficult to fight a, a battle on two fronts, Neil. It's just it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And there's a battle at home. I'm not going to lie. So, but 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 and what and what was the what was the the process that that battle at home? What how did that run its course? 
So basically, I realized the more direct I was coming to her with, you know, stuff, the more viscerally agitated and upset she was getting and would run away from me. Uh, it, the, the way the psyops have been engineered, if you confront someone with an uncomfortable fact, rather than them open their, an inquiring mind and say, oh, tell me about that or what, what's going on they will run the opposite direction. So I stopped, I stopped trying to show her stuff that might agitate or upset her and make her anxious. And instead it sounds a bit hippie-ish. Um, it's love. I, I, I stopped going to a clinic on a Friday so that I could, yeah, it's, we both work part-time so that we could spend a day together and I would go running with her in the woods. And we'd go for a meal together. We would spend time and start reconnecting. Remember why we fell in love with each other in the first place and stop being suspicious and anxious. And I told you so, and look at this and look at that. And then eventually I started introducing her to some podcasts, you know, the Peter McCullough ones and the Robert Malone very slowly. Mm I, I just got her to listen to half an hour and then she would say, can we listen to another half an hour? Can we listen to another? Cause you know, a three hour podcast can't do it on one go. And suddenly one day she just turned around to me and said, I'm awake. And once you're awake, you can't go back. And honestly, I, I cried with happiness and she went, you know, I was, I was, I was a victim of psyops. You know, we were, we've all been, we've all been, you know, the victims of propaganda. I was like, absolutely. So it is what it is. But then the mandates came and I was like, I'm not going to stay quiet now. So I was very vocal on my Instagram. I went on several marches. I joined up with some previous Brexiteers who are now in Together Declaration and NHS 100K. Then I went on your GB News, gave a couple of interviews, you know, and um, misinformation, mm -hmm. fact checkers came after me. And then Steve James was caught on that camera TV. And I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of how that was done. It was a bit engineered. If you ask me, I think the government, that knew, was the doctor. That was the, that was the yeah. doctor that spoke out and said what he said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad he did that, but you know, even what he said, I kind of disagree with. He never challenged the whole covid narrative he just said these vaccines don't work for very long i'm not going to have it blah, blah blah i think it was all engineered i think they decided the government decided they're going to roll it back and that was a good good reason to, sh to show the turning point um but mm -hmm. anyway the mandates were overturned and i thought great i'm going to get back to life going to get back to work um but then i started seeing vaccine harms and you know, I've got patients who've died of cancer and I've seen patients who've just suddenly got developed clots for no reason, autoimmune conditions. Um, there's a consultant neurologist who works in a clinic um, in the same room as me just in the morning session. So when I come in the afternoon, we kind of like cross paths. And, uh, you know, and, and I said to him, how, how are things? You know, a little bit of light chit chat. And he goes, oh, very busy, very busy. I was like, so why are you so busy? He went, oh, God, weird and wonderful neurological cases. Like, it was totally bizarre. I went, what do you think's driving it? The vaccines. I was like, sorry, what? The vaccines. I mean, <laughs> there's only two of us in the room. I mean, it's like 
so the Gestapo are listening in or something. I was like, the vaccines. He goes, he just nods. And then he goes, you were right. And I go, why, why didn't you speak up and say something? Oh God, no, 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 no. And then he just leaves the room. And, and this is the thing, you know, why, why is this the situation that we're in now in 2023? You know, and, you know, when I did speak up and I posted a video on Twitter, the medical directors of the national private hospitals came for me within 24 hours and told me, you know, legally drafted emails, take down this, you're contravening our social media policy guidelines. You're not allowed to talk about this. Take down your video. Don't tweet on this subject matter. But, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, what, what if I actually, all I said was, We've rolled out this mass experimentation with no long-term safety data. We're seeing increasing harm. Surely we should look into this. Surely we should pause and investigate. That was enough to get a slap on the wrist. And to me, that was just censorship, medical censorship and bullying. So I stood up and said, no, I'm not going to be silenced. I pushed back and they backed down. And I thought, mm -hmm. if you're going to tell me to be quiet, I'm going to I'm going to do the exact opposite. Don't tell me what to do. Um, and that's mm -hmm. where we are now. And the sad reality is, I don't think much has changed. I think a lot of my colleagues think I'm an idiot or a quack um, or conspiratorial. Um, certainly that's what a lot of trolls are saying on my in, um, Twitter feed, which I don't really care. I just mute them or block them. But most of the criticism I'm getting seems to be from other doctors, which makes me really sad. And I think the problem is, mm -hmm. is they're guilty of indoctrination through med school, groupthink. They're very inclined to following authority and obedience. Then they've got a bit mm -hmm. of professional hubris and arrogance, which compounds the matter. And then that, what you find is then you're kind of like gaslighting your patients. So, you know, if you as a doctor give a treatment to a patient and the patient then has a problem, Rather than think, oh, I'm a bad doctor for doing this treatment or this treatment was the wrong treatment. They think, right, well, I'm a good person. I went to med school. I, I'd made lots of sacrifices. I'm very smart. I worked hard. So it can't be me. It must be the patient or it must be something else. And, and I think, you know, they get into that whole mindset. And But I think you've been a victim mm -hmm. of this. You know, you've been speaking out. And you're, you know, they came for you, the, you know, the typical censorship, you know, they attacked your character. They said you're anti-Semitic. So how are, how are you dealing with this kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I mean, if you told me five years ago or even less that there was going to come a point in my life in my mid fifties where I would be being um, routinely uh, dismissed as anti-Semitic. It's amongst many things that if you told me them a few years ago, I just would not have given it any credence, whatever. You'd laugh but there, at but there we are. Yeah, but there we are. I mean, I've been, I've been accused of being this, that, and the other. What I find, uh, what sur it surprises me that, that so many are ready to overlook the fact that listening to you, just use a case study there, uh, there was nothing in it for you to speak up and do what you did. Other than no. the fact that you were motivated from somewhere deep inside, where you thought, "If I don't do this, I'm going to explode or or die of the yeah. of the of the wrong feeling," so I, I have no option but to but to take the path I'm on. But it, it, why people can't look on at the likes of you and 
the likes of me, but so many other people who have only taken hit and hurt from doing this. They've, they've seen uh, you know, financial opportunities fall away. They've seen their careers grind to a halt or go into reverse. Uh, they've, they've, they've suffered the, the opprobrium and the odium of, of the people that, whose respect they had previously valued and relied upon. They've, it's done people like you nothing but in all material, in all metrics of it being worth your while. It's been bad news across the board, and that people don't just yep. look on and, and and then say, "So why why did he do that? Why did Ahmed Malik, uh, you know, successful young surgeon uh, with a whole career in front of him, why why did he do that, and not draw the conclusion that you you were motivated simply by a sense of right and wrong?" that you understood like all human beings do right and wrong and you chose to do what you thought to be right rather than do the thing that you knew to be wrong so that you could benefit from it in some way. I don't know why people, more people don't look on at that and think, right, that, that guy's trashed his career. He must have had a very good, genuine, your 24 karat gold reason for doing that. So let's pay attention. And then when you look at, I mean, you and I yeah. take part in these Twitter spaces. You know, when sometimes there's dozens of speakers, it's more. Scores of people come on and speak, and many of them are clinicians from around the world of decades worth of experience. You know, uh, OBN gynae specialists in uh, maternal care and, and fetal health, uh, specialists in immunology, frontline clinicians, you know, Pierre Corey and people like that that have spent years just saving lives in emergency rooms and situations like that. And you, 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 you sit, I sit for, you do, you sit for hours in these Twitter spaces. I mean, they go on three, four, five hours long. Testimony, litany of, of people heartfelt saying a variation on what you said. I've had all my training. I looked at what was happening and thought it's wrong. And my, whatever, my Hippocratic oath or just my, my basic humanity means I have to step in and say that I know that this is wrong. Yeah. And the, there's a, I've now, over a period of time, listened to hundreds of people, serious clinicians, physicians, 40 years in, with track records of saving life and all the rest of it. And they are just, and they've all said, I spoke out and the profession has just trolled me and rubbished me and destroyed my professional reputation. It, it, over and over and over again, not one of them has gained from it. You, you name check Peter McCullough and... Robert Malone and all the rest of it, they've all just been hammered for doing it. Why would they do it unless they were motivated from a, a deep place of right and wrong? 100%. 100%. That's it. And, I mean, it's... I mean, and, you know, I, I mean, with, with me, you know, you said that, you know, you and your wife were, you know, didn't agree on it to begin with. But, I mean, happily for me, my, my wife and I, she's, we, she's another journalist by training, but you're a full-time mum, really. I mean, she's, you know, she's just bringing up the bringing up the family, and we just looked at one another when it started and said, "That's not right, is it?" There's something, and we didn't know what it was. We just thought that that makes my flesh creep a bit. There's, I'm getting a lizard-type flick of the tail, basic amygdala fight or flight mm. response here that I'm mm. going to listen to. And happily, we both felt exactly the same thing at exactly the same time and said, "Right, we're not. We're just going to wait and see here, aren't we? We're not going to get involved in this. This is madness." Um, so I've I've always had that, which I thank God for. You know, we've always been one hundred percent side by side on this, and agreed, and we, you know, we we were able to 
we agreed that the kids we didn't want the kids so you, coming you anywhere can, near it. There's one thing I was appreciate then you can appreciate how how good that is though, having that unity oh, at home. Oh, oh it that is that is if if nothing if I didn't if I hadn't known it before, you know, the the that the power that's to be drawn from, you know, your your spouse being completely with you shoulder to shoulder, it's much, much more than the sum of the parts. You know, you don't just become two people who agree. Because you're united in that, we we became much more than that. You know, we we became our own kind of Captain America's shield that we were able to be behind, and things were dinging off it, ding 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 ding, all the time. But we thought, no, we've got this, and this matters. This most. is exactly this is exactly what I have now. So my wife turns around and goes, "I love you." She sends me messages all the time. You're amazing. Well done for doing what you're doing. I'm right behind you. And mm. what I'm trying to say is, when you have that, you feel invincible. 100% Captain America with your shield. You know, I can take on the world now. But until I didn't have that, it, it was hard. It was really mm. difficult. And I'm just, I'm so glad. And one of the reasons why I'm so upset with the government and the WHO and everyone else is, Neil, they drove a, a divide, not just through communities, but families, friends, mm. colleagues, mm -hmm. partners, yeah. children. You know, the number of people I've met who said, my children aren't talking to me or... You know, we can't visit our grandchildren because we're not vaccinated. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous what has happened in the last three years. But, you know, that this is the medical field. I mean, how about you? I mean, is GB News really free? You've got the Ofcom, which is basically a censorship arm of the government on top of GB News. As a presenter and journalist, are you really free to say what you want to say now? I mean, look at Mark Stein, um, your colleague, he had to leave. Do you feel the noose around your neck? Because I feel the noose around my neck. I feel the GMC regulator ready to pull on my neck. Do you feel the same thing on your side or what is it like? GP News is under, you know, forensic scrutiny by Ofcom and others. You know, we're, you know, there is that feeling of being watched. Every move you make, every you know, to quote <laughs> to quote the police, every move you make, every breath you take, you know, they're watching. Mm -hmm. So there is that there is definitely that feeling. You, GB News is the only uh, pl platform really that I'm aware of that's out there that's on terrestrial mainstream regular television that people can just, you know, click three buttons on the on the remote control and you get to it. You know, all the other like this today and all the other voices that you can listen to, they're all they're all existing as best they can in the in the digital arena, the internet. GB News took the decision to be where people could get at it in that in that traditional way, remote control on the box. And in order to be there, they just had to sign up to the to the to the rules of Ofcom. That's there's no other way you can do it. And so the analogy I've made in the past is that it's like you could you can play football in the park. You can have 20 aside, you can have jumpers for goalposts and you can pick the ball up if you want. You don't have to, have, you don't have to, have, you can all just do whatever you want. If, however, you want to be in amongst the, the, the leagues where, you know, where Liverpool and Man U and Everton are, you have to play by the rules of association football and, and you're, you're just stuck. You, you, you decide to be in the, in the premiership or whatever. And you're you're stuck. You you have to obey those rules, and so that's the environment that that GBN has, uh, GB News has chosen to be within, for good or ill. 
Me, I I watch GB News and some of so a lot of the output makes me scream at the telly. What are you talking about? You know, you can't say that. That's t- I, I do that all the time, like everyone else does about everything else. I'm I'm just a I'm just a regular human being. I get frustrated by everything, almost everything I hear. That said, okay, so that's the that's the context. But GB News enables me. I'm there, so I, I can get a certain amount of information out onto that t- that terrestrial familiar. It's out there in amongst BBC One, Sky, ITV, Channel Four, yada yada. Dave, GB News is there, and it 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 suits me to to go along with the fact that yeah, there's there's all sorts of other voices on the same channel that I don't agree with, but I can get something out onto what still passes for whatever, conventional terrestrial television. And so it's it's worth being there for me. The Britain needs, the world needs channels like GB News, imperfect though they are, because with, within them, there is the opportunity for people to, you know, I, I talk to you, talk to you, we'll, we'll, we'll organise something to, you know, to talk to you on, on the channel. You know, I've spoken to Asim Malhotra, I've spoken to Mike Yeadon, I've spoken to, uh, Robert Malone more than once I've spoken to, you know, v- v- those voices have have also been able to come onto terrestrial television via, you know, the show that I do on a Saturday night. So I think that's worth doing. I, I do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write my own stuff, all these things that I say, that's me, the monologues and all of the rest of it. And yes, sometimes I do get handed a statement, say from the government or from the NHS or whatever, that I am obliged because of the Ofcom uh, regulations about due impartiality and balance. That I'll have to say, you know, and the government response to what you've just heard is, and I do it, and I, you know, I might not want to do it, I might not want to read the statement out, but <laughs> that's that's part of that's part of the rules of the game. And if in order to be on GB News, I have to operate like that. But no one, no one, when I go in on a Saturday and I say this is my monologue, I'm going to do this. It gets looked at in advance. Obviously, I show it. This is what I'm going to do, and you know, oh wow, right, okay, gosh, are you sure? And 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 there's you know, there's maybe some. I'll maybe agree to some tiny, tiny semantic changes of it, you know, grammar and and all of the rest of it. But no, no one puts words in my mouth. And I'm, I'm so glad I think to hear that. That's why I think it's worth doing. That's why I think it's worth doing. You know, those monologues are mine. Really, I, I, I greatly value the opportunity to put out 10 minutes worth of what I think, because I, like we said at the top of this conversation that you and I are having now, I think it does happily, it, it chimes with what many, many otherwise silenced people are thinking. Neil, I, I get 100%. letters and whatever from people saying, you know, you read my mind, you read my mind, and it makes such a difference to know that I'm not alone in thinking that. And I will keep doing that because I know that for some chunk of the population, it's it's catharsis. It's almost therapy, it, and I'll keep doing it. Definitely it definitely is. I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, you're you're like me. You're, I'm sure you're in lots of WhatsApp groups and Telegram channels and and signals. You know, your little monologues get tweeted and repeated and sent left, right. I mean, they're all over the place. So you're hundred percent right. You've got such an important voice, and I would hate to see you being silenced. And you know, I I, I remember one guy saying to me, oh all the GB news people should walk out because of what Mark Stein said. I said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Neil needs to be speaking out because if he's not on that platform, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to have the reach and at least he's getting through to some people. And, you know, oh. this is what worries me. This, this drift towards 
increasing tyrannical authoritarian you know society i mean we talked we touched about a fall i think we're already seeing the fall of the western civilization i think we're kind of already there i, I so do i i think i keep saying there's a there's a sort of a phrase that keeps echoes round and round in my head and it's that the future's analog and i think i genuinely believe that part part of the future is analog you know we've all benefited enormously from the internet it's a double-edged sword. It has the large print giveth and the small print taketh away and all of the rest of it. But, it, you know, it has delivered a lot of positives. Um, but I think that the, we have to remember, ultimately, the power of being in a room with people and at, you, at real time, not through a screen. You know, this, this June, I've got the, I'll be emceeing the World Council for Health conference in Bath. First to fourth June, and it's—I don't know what size the venue is, but there'll be hundreds of people in the room at the same time. And I did it. I was there last time, and it was enormously powerful because you're—you you talk about conspire, you know that means to breathe the same air, and that—that that was what it felt like. We were in this like charged atmosphere of people for the first time. It was you know, in a long time they had the chance mm. to vent. And to, and to, and to hear other, and to hear other people venting. And mm. it was, I mean, it was an amazing atmosphere. I mean, there was a whooping and a hollering and, you know, <laughs> cheering and stamping of feet. And it, it was quite the thing. It was like, like being at a music event, a, a, a concert, really. It was so charged and I'm going again. And it's because of people in the room, because you're thinking, I'm not getting this through a filter. This is definitely that person because he's on the stage or she is there on the stage and I can see her. And she's definitely saying that. No dubiety, no doubt about it. And we need to keep doing that because if other in that kind of whack-a-mole way, if things gradually get shut down and channels get shut down and people lose their platforms and they get censored on YouTube and all the rest of it, ultimately we can always end up in situations where we gather together in a field 100%. if it comes to it. Hundreds of people. And if we can get megaphones and broadcast and we can still keep talking to us talking to each other we have to remember that because the, the, I think the internet is going to be increasingly censored and it's going to be increasingly difficult that there's all you know the World Health Organization as part of its pandemic preparedness treaty amendments is setting itself up as the only source of true information that it will be the arbiter of what is misinformation so that all that censorship is not going away it's going to get worse and worse and worse and we need to remember all of us that we will always be able to come together. But five people, 50 people, 500, 5,000, whatever, we can come together in the same room, in the analogue world, and keep these conversations going on. And I, I cling to that. 100%. I mean, that's another thing. You talk about the COVID and what made me realise the whole isolation thing. We're social creatures. I don't know about you, Neil, but I love people. I love humanity. One of the, I love my patients, I love meeting them and I learn from them and they're funny and they're sometimes difficult and they can be stubborn and stupid. But that's what being human is and we make mistakes and, and you know, I, I, and a hug. A hug is such a nice thing, you know, connecting with another human being mm -hmm. and being told work from home and work on Zooms and you don't need to meet anyone and six meters, six foot distance, social distance. It's the worst thing ever. You know, we need to connect. We need to touch. We need to hug. We need to shake hands. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to feel each other's energies. And I think a lot of what's happening with society is that we've, we've been told to fear our neighbor and 
distrust mm-hmm. another man and woman when actually it should be the opposite. We should love thy neighbor. We should love our fellow hum- human being and connect. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if there's anything, we need a great awakening. So, you know, from practical steps, we've just joined a local cooperative group in terms of sourcing food. We, we get to meet other families. Really? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're taking out the middle. Well, tell, tell, tell me about that. Tell me yeah, tell me just, how, um, exactly, how does that work? How, so you, 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 there's this um, a lady called Nat Bradbury. She's actually done, just done an interview with me. It's going to be coming out in two weeks' time, um, and she, she's formed you know this group of a hundred families where they order in advance the kind of stuff they want, organic produce, and then they go directly to the growers and the farmers and say, right, this is what we need. And because you're ordering a kind of bulk amount. And you can order from them, you know, as you can't do it as an individual. How fantastic. And there's That's no profit. I'm, I'm so... the, yeah, it's not a company. It's not profit yeah. making. It's just families, communities. And then we talk to each other and we sell amongst each other. Like somebody's making, you know, some kind of natural antiperspirant or granola or, or kimchi. And then you, so you buy, you know, from each other and, that's what we need. We need to get away from the big multinationals, the Amazons, the, you know, the Googles. And we need communities again. I, I'm, I'm always about decentralization. We also need sovereignty as in like our individual sovereignty. I think people, again, back to that humanity amnesia, we've forgotten that we are all free individuals. And when it comes to the law, no one is above us. You know, it made me really sad, you know, hearing about people watching the coronation, this 250 million pound extravaganza, celebrating this man who thinks there's too many people on the planet who believes in this climate narrative and we should be all locked up while he has multiple homes and is traveling around in private jets and eating wonderful food. We should all be locked up in 15 minute cities and not allowed to travel and, you know, the hypocrisy and we're cheering him on. And forget the paedophilia and whatever night, else. <laughs> Stop! On, 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 on Saturday night, I, 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 I spoke for 10 minutes about that. What, what we saw, hypothetically at least, was of profound importance because we live in a, a, we're told we live in a constitutional monarchy. And if we do, then the mechanisms, ancient mechanisms, are there to keep us safe from the excesses of government and from the attempted overlordship of people from European Union or the World Economic Forum or the, or the World Health Organization, if yeah. we truly are in a constitutional monarchy. Because, we, I mean, never, never mind Magna Carta, older than that, it, it, within the history of our civilization, drawing from ancient Greece and all of the rest of it, old traditions, Anglo-Saxon modifications of, of ancient Greek thinking and all of the rest of it, was predicated upon the idea that each one of us is a sovereign individual. And that we have a monarch who is the first among equals, but he's also the most, he's the senior public servant. He's public servant Servant. number one. And his number one duty as constitutional monarch is to say to the outside world, all of these people here are sovereign. They will not be told what to do really by anyone. And, and he also stands between us and government, hypothetically, so that because any government, any government, red, blue, yellow, whatever, if they get the chance, they will legislate and write themselves into a position where they can do what they want. It's in their nature yep. to get to operate like that. 
Let's make ourselves untouchable. And the only way in which that power that they are after can be constrained and restrained is because a constitutional monarch either does or doesn't give royal assent to what they've got in mind. And hypothetically, he or she reads that legislation and says, do you know what? You're not having that because that compromises the sovereignty of these people. So no. And also, this voting every four years is not democracy. Mm. The ancient wisdom that, uh, that the Constitution is predicated upon says it's trial by jury. Because in a jury trial, the, the 12 people in England or the 15 people in Scotland, whatever, have the absolute right, in fact, the obligation to judge the justice of the law itself. So as well as deciding on the guilt or innocence of the person based on the evidence that's brought before them, they can look at the legislation and say, do you know what? That's a bad law. Mm. And we are not, this person goes free because you're not, you're not applying that. Take that away. That's nonsense. Every jury, every jury in a, in a true trial by jury constitutional situation is empowered to do that. That's democracy happening minute by minute. That's the yeah. all, all these things that these characters in Westminster tried to put on us gets tested by us. And the jury, not the judge, not the judge, the jury has the overall power to say, no, you're not convicting this person. This person walks free because this is bad law. And if more people understood the sovereignty of the individual that is actually enshrined in the notion of a constitutional monarchy, then we'd be in a better place. I don't want a, 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 I don't want President Johnson or President Blair, some ex-politician becoming the head of state. I would far rather I would far rather it be somebody who was just appointed, and that they're there for life, and that they pay attention to the long term, not the day-to-day -day political machinations of that Labour government or that Tory government or whatever. It's it's an imperfect world full of imperfect people like you and me, and and the, uh, the, the Hobson's choice I would make is to have a proper constitutional monarchy. But the question is, do we? Are we being duped? Have the, have the powers that be taken away our sovereignty without telling us? Because I if think they, they have, have. I want to back them into a corner. I want to back <laughs> them into a corner so that they have no option but to say, yeah, we did. We took away your sovereignty. Neil, because Neil, once I they hate... tell us that straight to our faces, you can go, I know where we are. Yeah, well, Neil, I hate to tell you, I think they have taken it. I actually disagree with the whole idea of so hereditary. I disagree with hereditary royalty. I think the problem is, culturally, we love to put people on a pedestal and we've created this whole celebrity kind of culture, worshipping these false idols and, you know, looking for someone else to save us. And, and actually, if you think about it, royalty ingrains the whole concept of class and, you know, inequality. Is, that's the way, that's how it's become. That is that yes. is what has happened, but it was not exactly. The, it's not the intent, really. You're a, you're a fellow Scot. Now we the the there was always a, a or for a longer time the the way in which the the monarch of the Scots operated was profoundly different than the way the monarch of the English behaved and conducted themselves. But it was no, it was not unusual. In the in the dim and distant past, for an ordinary person like you or me to address the king by name, yep, see him riding past, see him riding past on his horse, Robert, a, a moment yep. of your time, please. I, yep. I, I'd like a word, and you didn't get your head cut off for doing that. 
for a, you know for for being familiar with the monarch in that way. Now that that was long gone in 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 the English context long before because it was for the longest time you were the king of Scots, not the king of Scotland. Where mm. the monarch in England was the king of England because, by definition, he owned everything and kind of mm. let other people squat on his land at his pleasure. Yes. yes. In, in Scotland, there was a f- profoundly different understanding, which was that everything was held in common. We all, sh- it was all ours, and he was or she was first among equals, mm. but they didn't own everything. They were more like a, a, a paternal figure. Or first among equals, just a, a, a spokesman, a first, a, a sovereign amongst sovereign people, but not you know. You could still say, "Hey, hey, David, come here. Hi, hi there. Talk to you, you know, all is not all is not well. All is not well in my patch, and you can do something about it." You know, so that was it, it was it was a profoundly different thing. But we've we've allowed we've, this bowing and scraping thing mm. came much later. In Scotland, and it, this, this, you know, crawling on your hands and knees because this guy's the king. No, it, it was it was first among equals. You know, you live in a big castle, and I'll tolerate you while you're there, and I'll let you live in that big castle. But if you don't look after my sovereignty, I reserve the right to show you the door. It, and that people, if people just remembered as individuals that, yeah, 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 it's the king, but he's not Lord God Almighty. He's just the king. He's but just this is the what, king, and he's this, there with a job. He's got a job to do. But this, absolutely, I love that. And this, this actually goes all the way through the strata of our society. So I'll give an example in my little world. I'm operating in theatre, and some staff member who doesn't really know me, or is a, a bank staff, will go, oh, "Mr. Malik, Mr. Malik, um, sorry to interrupt. Can I, can I ask you something?" And I'm like, "Yeah, don't call me Mr. Malik. Just, just call me Ahmed. Oh, I can't call you Ahmed. Like, why not?" <laughs> You're, you're the consultant. I'm like, so? I'm just the healthcare assistant. I went, you're never just anything. You're just as important yeah. as me. And I'm just as important as you. There's no one above me and there's no one below me. And they find this concept very alien. Now, the staff that know me, they all have a little giggle and they're having a banter. And you know what's safer? What's safer is when we're all there as equals. Ahmed. Yeah. Is it okay if we do that? I think it'd be better if we did it like that. And I'd be like, yeah, that's a really good point. Let's do that. Whereas if I'm this untouchable, unquestionable authority, I could be making a mistake and no one's going to say anything because they're scared. So what I'm trying to say is Mm -hmm. I'm not a communist, socialist, Marxist, you know, kind of everyone has to be a peasant. You know, I want to make money and people should succeed. And if you work hard, you should earn the, the fruits of that labor. But the reality is this whole strata, this hierarchy, I don't like hierarchy, especially when it's not earned and when it's not justified. And we kind of need to strip that back. And I like the idea of a king being the first of equals. Yeah. It's it's a state of mind. Mm. That, but the bowing, the bowing and scraping, and you know, making sure that somebody's toothpaste is squeezed out onto their toothbrush every morning so that they don't have to do it themselves. Well, hell mend you if you if you allow a situation like that to evolve just because the first among equals gets to wear a crown on ceremonial occasions. All that's required is that people are not cowed by by title and roles. Everyone's got a role. Title. Yeah. Ideally, everyone you know everyone's got something that they do that if they weren't doing it, society would be that little bit worse. For the for the absence of their contribution, 
And, you know, just because you've, you live in a constitutional monarchy, but it's a job. The guy's a public servant. And he, he's what do you there think to of the make idea sure that, that, that lot over there don't mess with us. What do you think of the idea a lot of people say? So when I say, you know, I'm not a fan of royalty, they go, oh, well, you know, they, they don't actually have any power. I think they've got more power than we, we think they do. What do you think? I don't think they're powerless. They've got, they've got our power. Yes. There is, only our, there is only our power. The only power is the power of sovereign individuals in agreement with one another. They, they, we lend them that. It's like a bowl full of power. And we lend them that. And they, it's like it's like when the it's like when the government says we're going to we're going to use you know we're 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 going to spend three billion on that. You go, yeah, that's my money, because yeah. it only is the people's money. The government the government don't have anything. They don't have a pot to piss in. They've just got our money. They've got our power, and we as sovereign individuals lend them it on the understanding that the minute they balls it up, we just take the power back. We just take it back and we don't wait. For, you know, it's not an election. That's the thing about this thing about uh, trial by jury and this idea of judging the justice of the of the legislation that they all every, every idea they have. We're going to do this about health. We're going to do this about the trains. We're going to do this about the roads, whatever. That's legislation. They just they just come up with that and then they enact it. It gets we always have the power to say no every minute of every day. Because it's also not if you the law. Do what that, they do, what they do, isn't it, the law it's, either. It's, it's, it, no, all they do is legislation. There is a fundamental difference between legislation and the law. What's mm. lawful? We all know what's that's right and wrong. We all know that. We don't need to be told it. Everyone knows the difference between right and wrong. Some people choose wrong. Some people choose right. But we all, every single person, knows the difference between right and wrong. All 100%. they're drafting over there is legislation, and every minute of every day. But, but under the terms of what what used to be the trial by jury, is that the like, the lawfulness of what they are proposing gets tested to breaking point every minute of every day, and that is appropriate because they they, they don't have power. The king doesn't have power. The government doesn't Neil, have power. The Neil, only power is, is is the power of the people. Theoretically, I agree Sorry. with all of this. I theoretically agree with all of this. But what about the fact? that they do have power. They've got police officers. They can come into your house. They can lock you up. They can take away your job. They can take away your money. I mean, that's power. When you ask the, the average person, that's raw power. And the other thing I would say to you is, how do we, how do we take back that power? Because our politicians are all captured or compromised, as far as I'm concerned. You've got a uniparty system. You've got people above the law, above even our country's supranational level whether it's corporations or individuals who are now subverting the will of the people by enacting things that are in their interest, not our interest. How do we get that back? Because I don't see any mechanism in which we can do it's, that. I don't see the vehicle in which we can regain our power because every system is corrupt. I, I just don't have faith in any institution, judiciary, law, media, no, not I. politics. It's a state. It's a state of mind. I mean, just I'll point to a, a historical incident. You know, that this sort of illustrates what's possible. You know, during the First World War in Glasgow, with the, with all the men away in the, at the war, the there was no counts, there was no uh, public housing. It, it, all all 
everywhere that everybody lived was owned by private landlords and everyone was a private tenant. And the the landlords took the opportunity of, you know, more people were coming into the city to work in the munitions factories and all of the rest of it. They hiked all the rents and they were evicting people. And remember, it was it was women and children because all the men were away at the war, but with almost without exception. But they, mm. So the landlords were taking this opportunity to hike the rents and if the people wouldn't pay, they were just putting them out and putting new people in that were prepared to pay the rent. Now, a woman, uh, uh, Mrs. Barber, as it was, decided she wasn't having that. She was just a, she was just an ordinary woman in Glasgow and she organised all the other women so that any time the bailiffs were going to go to such and such an address to evict that woman and her kids, hundreds if not thousands of them turned up at the address just to block it, wow. block the close, block the access, <laughs> right? And it, it became so effective that, of course, there were men who weren't soldiers. They were working in the, the shipyards and they were working in the iron foundries and whatever, making the, the stuff of war. They were so affected by, for whatever reason, by what Mrs. Barber's army, as they were called, were doing, that they would they were saying, right, if you try and evict that woman there, we'll walk out. We'll just walk out of the shipyard. We'll strike. And what was actually achieved was the the, the government had to get involved because everything was grinding to a halt, potentially. There's mm. a war on. People are leaving the shipyard because that woman's getting evicted. We can't have that. And the rents were pulled down to pre-war levels, and they stayed there for the duration of the war. And some of the of the legislation that was enacted in 1916 or whenever it was stayed in place until the 80s without being, without being touched again. Wow. And that was literally, that's people power. Because you can't, if people enable the misapplication of power, if they allow the authorities to gang up on one person at a time mm. and evict that one person and put that one person in jail unfairly, if any time the authorities attempt to do it to the one, if the many come together and say no, Peaceably. I mean, Mrs. Barber's army, they weren't killing anybody. They would just turn up with women with babies in prams and stuff and block the doors. That's all they did. They were just there saying, no, that's wrong. That wrong. Don't do it. And sure enough, it was stopped. And so that's that's all it takes. Because the government eventually had to go, do you know what? We can't put all the Mrs. Barber's army in jail at the same time. We don't have big enough prisons. We can't. We'll just have to. Do you know what? I love this story. Us. They've got us by the balls. Yeah. So yeah. that's all it is. It's a state of mind. And and so what is problematic in the pre in the present context is where you know where where things are where you know that something's been done to your neighbour that's wrong. You got if you turn your if you turn a blind eye to it, then it happens. But if enough of the neighbours go, not in this street, no. that's not happening to, to, to Mrs. Smith. It's not happening. And there's 50 of us, 50 other families have decided, like your cooperative that you're talking about, then it doesn't happen. End of. Yeah, I think... People uh, power. It's not violent. It's not, about, it's not about throwing... It's not about smashing windows or throwing fireworks at horses. It's none of that. It's just people quietly saying together with one voice, no, not happening. And it doesn't happen. The same it can't thing. because I, there's I not enough hearing. of them. Yeah, I keep hearing this from everyone. The the most powerful thing that we've got is no. No. We're just not going to play huh. along with this. And the thing is, you know... It's all I we think, need. But it's all that divide and rule that we're seeing now. I think it's deliberate. You know, all this 
this culture war? Yes. Left, right, trans, straight, old, young, white, black, BLM. You know, it's, it's about keeping us fighting amongst each other so we don't see yes. the real enemy, the real people trying to control us and keep us under and under, you know, their thumb. And, you know, because United, we would turn around and go, hey, what the hell are they doing to us? It's, and we'd fight back. It's by, it's, by, it's by paying attention to where the division is being created. You can see what it is that powers, well, you know, government or whatever. You can see what it is that they're afraid of by what it is that they try to break or what they try to prevent happening. And so by making, by, by making people uh, have, uh, you know, racial dispute all the time, white on black, black on white, whatever, by making, by whipping up the next thing, gender, you know, m men against women or, or trans women against trans, whatever, that, that is being engineered to keep people in small groups, small, angry, agitated groups that hate each other more than they, they're not even paying attention at all to who's stirring up the trouble. Exactly. If, if everyone just, you know, if, 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 if Christian of whatever denomination and, and Muslim and, and Hindu and Sikh and whatever, if they all, rather than being falling for the trick of fighting with each other in small groups, if they all just came together and with genuine tolerance and said, right, the fun, the, in order for us all to get what we want, we, we have to do it together. Now, that would put the fear of God up any authoritarian, totalitarian regime. Imagine if all of those faith groups just came together and said, right, whatever, you know, you worship, you, you worship what you believe in your way. Fine. It doesn't need to impinge on the way I worship what I think about. And we can make that right for all of us just by quietly being together and, and in agreement. And likewise, races, black, white and brown, whatever, rather than being prepared to hate each other because it serves the interests of those that want lack of cohesion and, and atomized society, they just quietly came together, tolerating one another and, and recognizing the oneness of humanity. Then, there's yep. not a totalitarian regime on the planet, past, present, or future, that can break that. It is literally unbreakable. And but time and time again, we fall for it. We get set at each other's throats. They're what you know, vaxxer against anti-vaxxer. What on earth was that all about? You know, people that were wearing face masks set against people who weren't. Don't you see? Don't you see what's happening here? They're just using masks to make us fight each other or they're using a, a medical product to make us fight one another if we don't fight you know that war games film you know Matthew Broderick back in the 80s where the computers started to the computer yeah. started to get you know AI made real yep. about to launch World War 3 but they yep. got the computer to play knots and crosses and it learned the futility because mm -hmm. it, it could see that every time you tried to play knots and crosses if both people know how the game works you never win it's just a draw. Mm. And it, so the computer says, sometimes the only winning move is not to play. We're being played. They are, are, have created a game that they make us so, play. 
and there's no yes. winning move. The only oh winning move is not this to is a conversation I had. This is a conversation I had yesterday. I'm not kidding you. I, the conversation I had yesterday with someone was, we're in a game that is rigged and we can't win. Huh. And, the other, and the other person said, but that's the whole point. We're, we're never, we're, you can't win in this game. <laughs> this game is rigged. No. <laughs> it's like don't ah. play. Unfortunately, you have My, to. I mean, if, in a bigger sense, the, the <sighs> what I mean by that is we have to pay our bills and our taxis. But you know, it feels sometimes like it's so difficult to get ahead and do well. You're burdened with this massive mortgage. You've got student debt. You have to grind and yeah. work and. And and something inside me just says, why? Why is it so hard? Why it shouldn't be this difficult to get ahead? And to get ahead, then what you see is people doing things that are unethical or wrong or cheating. And to to, to the ones that really get ahead, you know, they're doing things that are not the right things to do. And I could, for example, I could make a lot more money, Neil, by operating on practically every patient I see. And a lot of my colleagues, I see them doing that, but it's unethical. I actually only operate on 5% of my patients because I know 95% of them, I can just give good advice and they will not need surgery. Um, but if I was unethical and I operated in all well, of them, yeah, sure. You know, I'd have a lot of money. I'd be driving a big fancy car. And But you see, it shouldn't be like that. You know, I just feel the game no. is rigged. That you the can't game is get rigged. ahead. We've got to, I keep saying to, to, to Trudy all the time, my wife, I keep saying, it, it, the time has come, it's long past actually, to think the unthinkable. We're, we're conditioned to thinking that the way things are is the only way they can be. Now, I'm not talking about, I, I've got no time for revolutions and people, you know, burning, th smashing things to the ground. It's not about that. When I say people, we, we ought to be prepared to think the unthinkable, all of the financial trouble in the world is caused by, well, fractional reserve banking. You know, where yeah. basically a bank invents invents money out of nowhere because it's allowed yeah. to. So it, in, it invents a thousand pounds. Bing! There's a thousand pounds. And then it lends, it doesn't just lend that thousand pound to one person and say, and pay that back with interest. So I'll, I'll take 1500 pounds back. Thank you very much. They lend that thousand pounds to a thousand people. <laughs> the money that didn't exist in the first place. And then a thousand people, uh, gullible, pay back at 1,500 pounds of actual money that they have made by working, by working in a supermarket or driving a taxi or whatever, they generate actual money. And it's they give that to the bank. And now the bank, from the £1,000 that was fictional anyway, they've now got a 1,000 times that, plus all the interest. Now, what kind of a business model is that? You try doing that, Ahmed Malik, in private <laughs> life, and you're, you're going straight to jail so fast your feet don't touch the ground. Yeah, I know. And, the, and, the, and, the, and to, buy a, to buy a house... You, they, let's say let's say the house is worth a hundred thousand pounds. They make you via fractional reserve banking and 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 usury and interest and all of the other financial trickery. They make you buy five houses. They make you buy five over a twenty-five year period just to own the one. Yeah, it, but, but but we all think, oh well, that's just the way it is. That's 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 it. People think the thinkable. And it perpetuates the problem that we're all in, and so we're all under the cosh of debt. That's really what the, we're all under. We're all in debt. Yes. So you have to, the time is coming. The time Until is coming. Until death, have more to be good to think. 
mortgage. People have to think the unthinkable. And we, and the, and the tragedy is historically, we knew this. Jubilee, we just had one, Platinum Jubilee for her late Madge. Jubilee is an old word. You find it, it, it comes from the Holy Land. It's jubilo and it, it's the sounding, it's, it's a ram's horn. And every 50 years approximately, mm. it was sounded. It was, the jubilo, all debts were cancelled, right? Because a king knew that if he allowed his aristocrats around him to indebt everyone in the kingdom, they would all owe those lords something which could be military service. And so that gave them power. And it was in the king's interests to make sure that that didn't ever build up to the point where any of those aristocrats could tackle him, take him mm. on. So every, uh, uh, roughly every 50 years, they sounded the, the, the jewel the blow and all debts were cancelled and, and people who were enslaved by debt could go home. And it was like a game of Monopoly that was over and now it all started again. Right? Wow. They knew that you couldn't let, wow. you couldn't allow the game to run indefinitely because eventually if you've played Monopoly, you know how it works. One person's got everything and everybody else has got nothing. That's where you end up with fractional reserve banking left unchecked. Eventually you've got one billionaire, trillionaire who's got all the money and yeah. everybody else has got nothing and is supposed to be happy. We have to, and when I say think the unthinkable, the time has come to cancel all the debt. Now you go, you can't do that. That brings whatever, all the consequences. It's better than the alternative. No matter what the consequences are of thinking the unthinkable and contemplating, saying, not repaying any more debt, it's still better than what we're going to end up with, which is eventually there's one bank, one shop, one person in control of it all, and the rest of us will have nothing and will be beholden to that guy for everything. That's worse. <laughs> But the this is what they want. The unthinkable. But this is what's yeah, happening. Of course. They want one And all the smart government. people, the economists will tell you. The economists will say, oh, you can't do that. No, no, that's why we have to, we just have to keep on quantitative easing. No, no, we just have to, yes, we have to, yes, we have to have inflation. Yeah, da, 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 da. And I'm clever. I've got a degree in economics and I work for the World Bank. And so you're just, you just drive a taxi. So you don't know yeah, shit from shine You're pleb, you don't Just know do anything. what you're told. Yep. That is how it works. And it's not about violence. It's not about overthrow. It's not about revolution. It's just about people all together in the same moment saying, do you know what? No. Just no. You don't need to break any windows. You don't need to set anyone's car on fire. We all just say, no. This is nonsense. And you know it. Because you are smart enough to know that you're playing a Ponzi scheme. And at the end, we all lose and you get everything. No. <laughs> it's this is the unthinkable. Get ready for it. I think this is it. I think this is 100% it. You have to just say no. And um, I don't want a one world government. I don't want one bloody group of people telling me what no. to do and ruling. I don't want to own nothing. No. I'd like Prince Charles to own nothing and tell me how happy he would be. You know, the, it's the We've hypocrisy. We've been warning each... The, the tragedy of humanity is that we've always, we always know this. I mean, if you go back into the Bible, right? Now, I'm just quoting the Bible because it happens to be one of the oldest books. But you go back, whatever, the Epic of Gilgamesh or the, or the, or the Upanishads or, or whatever, whatever your book of ancient wisdom is, there's lots of them. But let's just say in the Bible, you know, Isaiah, the prophet, was saying 2,000, 3,000 years ago, don't let anyone centralise all the money. 
don't let anyone play the game of Monopoly until they've got everything, because that's going to be chaos and misery. Right? When you two and a half, three thousand years ago, our people, our species had worked that out and had put in place mechanisms to stop it. Common and, sense. And when it comes to the abuse of, when it comes to the abuse of power, you know, Ma- Magna Carta was not new. When Magna, Car- when John, when King John was made to put his seal on that, the the barons hadn't come up with anything new at all. It was just a statement of what everybody had always known anyway, but that that particular king had been particularly remiss in utterly ignoring. Mm. So there's Magna Carta's not new. It's just like, hold, hold hang on. Let's just remind ourselves the rules of this game because we all know it. You, John, you're just being a prick. You have got to remember that this is these are the rules of the game because we've known this for thousands of years. That's all Magna Carta. Just a restatement. And when all it comes down to all the time is natural law, which you can summarise by saying don't steal. Right? There's ten commandments, but basically it all boils down to don't steal. Don't, don't take steal anyone's truth. stuff. Don't steal. Yeah. Don't don't take his wife. Don't take his means of production. Don't take his house. Don't take his right to. Don't steal. That's all don't it is. Steal, and don't all you steal have to the remember. Truth. Don't steal the truth. And hundred percent. Don't put. And don't put up with people who do. All Magna Carta basically said was, "Don't steal." Not even you, just because you're the king. Don't steal. Stop it. You're, you're raping. You're you're letting your men rape and murder and take everybody's money. They're stealing. We don't steal. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's so simple. It's so I bet, simple. I, I break it down into two rules. First, do no harm. Just don't do any harm to anyone. Two, don't take any shit. That's don't steal anyone's health. Yeah. Don't steal their health. It's still don't steal. Don't yeah, take 100%. what's not yours. I love it. I, I'm with you on that one. Hundred <laughs> percent. Neil, I'll be honest with you. No, I, I, I fluctuate. I, don't know to... I, I fluctuate. I fluctuate from moments of hope and positivity. These bastards can't get their way. You know, this is a cycle. If 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 they and I think it's a spiritual war between good and evil. You know, if if this if they had won, if if they, if they were all consumingly powerful, they would have been here and done it, and you know we wouldn't be having this battle. So, you know, we need to believe in humanity, we need to believe in good, in the light, and we will conquer this. But part of me then fluctuates and goes, oh my God, but they're so powerful. This has been going on in the making for maybe 50, 100 years. We are dealing with dark forces and humanity is now divided and cracked and so frail. Maybe maybe it's they're going to get their way. And the only hope I have then is... No authoritarian regime, no censorship will thrive because the beauty of humanity is the sparks of individuality, the creativity, the uniqueness of human beings. And if you have us all just subservient and saying one message, it's not sustainable. <laughs> that's that's not going to be an, a happy ending. I mean, I don't it know what your view on much, this is. That kind of centralized totalitarian control it fundamentally it takes too much energy in the past i mean people have always gone for it you know whatever uh, you know uh, you know the the 
the the Persians, the the Greeks, the Roman, not the Greeks, the Romans, and the you know the Ottoman Empire and the British Empire. People have gone for it, and they've they've tried to get total control over everyone. And what stopped it in the past was the, the state capacity was not there. They just didn't. They just couldn't do it. Soviet Union it, eventually just they, they ran out it, to make the Soviet Union work. In the end, you had to have more folks spying on people than there were people. Everybody was a spy for the state. It, it just It's too energy intensive. And so eventually everyone goes, oh, do you know what? Forget it. Let them go. The, the technology that's there via the internet and artificial intelligence and all the rest of it, for the first time, has made it possible. They can do it now. The, the, the digital cage is such that they can get 8 billion people in it and keep them there if they if they want to keep them there. But even if they do make it happen, even if enough people submit to it, it's too much effort. It, I always describe it as being like if you hold a ball under the surface of a swimming pool, you can you can do it as long as you've got the strength to keep it under the water. But the minute you let it go, it's instantly yeah. on the surface because that's where it wants to be. The, in the natural order of things, the universe wants balance. The universe wants, I'm not trying to anthropomorphize the universe, but you know what I mean? The universe has a certain desired state of being. And if you mess with it, you get an you get you get trouble. And so even if they do, with the, with the capacity they've got via the internet, manage to get everybody shut down, locked down, living in a 15-minute city, whatever, it, eventually the ball of the way the universe actually wants to be will just go... It'll just bob back up to the surface. So I love it. We might have, but we might have. A, I don't ever put times on this. People say, "Yeah, but when? When will that happen?" I don't know. I don't know how long it'll take. Maybe it'll take a while. Maybe it'll be our. Maybe it'll be until our children are, are our age, or I don't know. Or maybe it'll maybe it'll turn on a sixpence tomorrow. I don't know, but it will not prevail because it's wrong. Yes, I and agree. The universe wants to be, it's upside down world. You said clown world. We're living in an inverted world. It's been turned 100%. upside down by people who have, yeah. who have bad intentions. And the universe wants to go flip and, get, and it will flip back up. And that could be very disruptive. That, with that flick, people talk about the pendulum swinging back. It, when it, because it's been held down for so long with so much energy, when it flicks mm. back up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I agree. I agree. So tell me, how does Neil Oliver stay fit and healthy? Oh, what's your, what's oh, your advice and <laughs> guidance? Like, what, what well, have you learned in, be... your, in your time on this planet? What have you learned is good for you and your family and how to stay healthy and well? We've, the, part of the process the last couple of years, my, my, my wife in particular has, has become very, very motivated and interested in health in terms of diet and well-being that, that way. And so you mentioned kimchi in your cooperative. You know, my wife's been making kimchi and we have, hey. uh, we have apple trees. So we've been making, she's been making apple chutney and apple cider vinegar. And we've been, we, we take little Lovely. bits of apple cider vinegar to sort of moderate our, biome and we pickle and we we make ferment and we do so and, and Trudy has taken completely the lead on that and she has become very very interested in it so we've understood that it's all about diet and diet's not just what you eat it's a whole approach to life we, we stay away from vegetable oils because they're just rancid byproducts of 
the farming industry practically. They used to use that to lubricate yeah. tractor wheels. I know. So we, <laughs> we cook with animal fat. We cook with lard. Um, we stay away from processed food. Uh, we stay away from uh, white bread and, and grains. We stay away from that. So we eat protein, we eat fat, uh, we eat vegetables. Love it. All the stuff that we all know. It, everyone everyone knows this stuff. It, it just, people either don't have the time or, or have for forgotten. We all know amnesia? this stuff. And we cook, my wife cooks, you know, we, we do have, we got, you know, the other night we had, you know, we had um, takeaway, uh, whatever. We're not, we're not Puritans. But broadly speaking, my wife, we cook all the time. We cook from scratch. We make our own this, that, and the next thing. So a lot of it's to do with that. Um, we we go. I mostly work from home, and we Trudy and I go out for walks every day. We go out. We walk the dogs, and then when they've had their exercise, we go out again, usually together. So we go for another couple of miles walk together, and that we find that we don't. I don't. I do. A, I do a little bit of weights because I've learned that when you get to my age, you start well. In the second half of your life, you start shedding muscle mm. if you don't Sarcopenia. do something about it. And 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 the best way to do that is to is to is to lift heavy things r- repeatedly. Uh, and the easiest way to do that is to do a bit of weightlifting. And it, I, I'm told that that will help me maintain muscle mass. But it I'm is. not doing anything. I'm not. I'm not trying to press a hundred kilos. I'm just. I'm just lifting weights a bit. Um, yeah, we keep. I've got dogs. I think the the dogs. I mean. You know they 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 bring their own stresses and strains, but on balance, having we think having dogs around the house is part of our well being because it, it, they just bring another dimension to family life. And so that's it. So nothing high tech. Walking, eat it's cooking from scratch, eating eating natural food, not processed food. Stay at sugar. Stay away from sugar as much as I can. That's it. I love it. I love it. So that's that's exactly what we do. Um, and I think it, it, it costs nothing. There's no gym membership. I, I don't go to a gym. I lift weights five times I've a week. weights in the garden. Yeah. yeah. In the garden, 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 garden in, in the house. Um, kettlebells, medicine ball, squats, lunges. Do not underestimate the, the power of strength training. And same, we cook from scratch. Yeah. Not Puritans, not Puritans. Once a fortnight, we'll go out and eat or get a takeaway. But yeah. I think... Otherwise, it's we do cook from scratch, and I think there's a joy to be cooking from scratch, knowing where your food comes from yes. and what ingredients go into it. Yes, because it's not just energy. Do you know it's your constituent parts? You are what you eat, and <laughs> you know one thing I've learned, Neil, is that you know big agra and big food and big pharma have this beautiful symbiotic relationship where they make us sick and profit from it, and we need to break the cycle. We need to say no. We're not going to. We're not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to take your pill. I'm not going to eat yeah. your garbage and your processed food. So I think you're you're spot on. Do you do anything like intermittent fasting, or or do you still have three meals a day? Well, well, we do. We do. If I'll tell you what we do, you can tell me if if it's intermittent fasting or not. Mostly, Trudy and I have our last meal at, of the day at whatever six seven o'clock, and then we don't eat again till lunchtime the following day. So you're doing intermittent we try and fasting. Have that kind of that and and it's it's um we're, again we're, I'm not quite religious about it and funnily enough because I go down to GB News on a Friday typically and I, I then I'm I'm doing the show on a Saturday for one reason or another I quite often find it quite easy not to eat at all on a Saturday just not to eat mm. at all so I have mm. like six days on and then I have a whole day 
without even thinking about it where I just don't mm. eat I drink I drink whatever you know I drink coffee and I drink whatever water um, but I don't eat so and I, so I, th- I believe I, I do I do think that switch I remember I remember years ago listening uh, hearing about uh, Neil Armstrong and he when he was he caused the scientists all sorts of problems because he wouldn't do what they wanted him to do they had worked out a diet and a regimen and he wouldn't do it because well for one thing he would only eat once a day because he didn't like the idea of making his digestive system work three times a day every day he thought I'll only make my body do that once right so so he was saying no I'm not eating breakfast and I'm not whatever it was he was doing and then they would say right get on the get on the treadmill and run for 20 minutes and he would go on and he would run for six minutes and he would say that's all I'm doing because that's enough I don't need I any more it. cardio than that. <laughs> you know, and he was really, really problematic. <laughs> but wait, this was in the six. This was in the sixties. This was in the nineteen sixties, and he had decided for himself that he was basically not making his body do excessive amounts of the same thing. I'll do a certain amount of exercise. I will yeah. eat a certain amount of food, but I'm not just eating breakfast because you tell me it's breakfast time and all that kind of thing. I've yeah, always I always it. thought that was a lovely well, aspect of Armstrong's so, personality. Yeah. I love the fact he just innately just knew and listened to his body. And I think that's what people need to do. They need to mm-hmm. listen to their body and use their common sense. And I, I'll tell you one thing, nothing's more impor- and powerful than your gut instinct. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're definitely doing intermittent fasting. So the minimum is 16 hours. And from what you're describing, you do a 17 hour fast every day. So well done. And intermittent no. fasting isn't about yeah. weight control. It's about longevity, staving off dementia, yeah. um, diabetes, heart disease. Covid, everything. So yeah. keep that up. Anyway, I've taken up a lot of your I'm time. You've had a fascinating. Sorry. No, I'm just. I'm just going to add one more thing. I'm, I believe. Now you'll know this. I believe that doctors. This thing I said about sugar, and but it's to do with processed food generally. I believe there's a there's a school of thought that says that Alzheimer's is type three diabetes. Yeah. That it, it it may be heavily heavily to do with that. I say sugar just as a kind of a shorthand for consuming all of that heavily processed pap, and that, that, like some doctors it's, are it's, saying, "Yeah, that de- that dementia is is from the is from the diet." Hundred percent, it's insulin resistance. I'm not going to go into the science of it, but basically, we've got sugar, too much sugar in our bloodstream. We're pumping out insulin. Our cells are becoming resistant to insulin, so our body creates more insulin, and and it's it's just not good. Insulin resistance is actually what's driving everything, and and this insulin resistance you see in pre diabetes and then diabetes, it's that it's that layer of fat around your waist. It's what then leads to eye degeneration, kidney failure, ischemic changes, problems with erectile dysfunction. You name it. I mean, it's a killer. Heart mm-hmm. disease, strokes. And then dementia, you know, so insulin resistance is not just a little wee problem. And it's not about, oh, I've got a bit of belly fat. It's, it's, it's not a good thing to have. And it's really sad if you go back into history again, you know, talking about history, 1920s, 1900s, you, you look at all these black and white pictures. They're all nice and slim and trim. You look at a picture of people on the beach, you know, they all look like models. And now, you know, you walk around, you know, we went to Padstow and my, my daughter, again, you know, my daughter, the truth comes out, the seven-year-old daughter goes, daddy, why do all the men look like they've got babies in their tummies? (laughs) 
And it's not just a trans thing. She doesn't know about trans. These guys my age are walking around with beach balls in their tummies, you know, and they, and it's normalized. Yeah. It's normalized to be obese. And, you know, if you, if you say it's wrong, it's fat shaming, you know, beauty health and fat health, you know, it's all wrong. And, you know, that's why I'm a big proponent of these simple health measures that you've just talked about because they're free and mm-hmm. they're cheap. And I don't believe in the healthcare model. I believe in wellness. We should all be well. And health doesn't come in a tablet or a vial or injection. It comes from the choices that you make every single day. And, you know, we've been brainwashed or brain stained into making the wrong choices, you know, that are not in our convenience. But, you know, we go to convenience store and it's, you know, it's total, you know, Orwellian. There's nothing convenient about a convenience store. It's bad for our health. Mm. All these vapes, cigarettes. Have you seen the Technicolor well of stuff inside the shop? None, none of that is of nutritional value, but it's sold to us as food. And it's like, ah. Anyway, um, where can people find you if they want to? I mean, not. I'm sure everyone will know who Neil Oliver is, oh. but you've talked about your podcast and, and you know, where can they find you? Yes, I, I, the, my, well, my, my podcast is it's there on Acast, but it's basically if you've got the wherever you go looking for your podcast, you'll find me. It's called Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the British Isles and Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World. Uh, you'll also find me. I've got a YouTube channel, which is just called Neil Oliver. I'm on Instagram. Again, it's just Neil Oliver. You always find me by name. I've got a patreon.com site. Again, you'll find me on patreon.com. Just Neil Oliver. Go looking for me there. I'm on GB News channel 236 uh, on the Freeview box, six o'clock every Saturday night. Uh, and I've got about a dozen books out there somewhere, available in all good bookshops. <laughs> but I love it. That's been a real. T- I think we've done. Uh, that's nearly two hours with that. That's a great chat. Just wow. thanks so much for making the time for me. And we'll yeah, great, lovely. We'll do it. We'll do it again soon. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour speaking to you. You're an absolute legend. You don't understand how much I've looked up to you. And, you know, listening to your monologues gave me so much oh, hope. Hope for humanity. Well. <laughs> Well, you likewise, the way the way that you've stood up and said what you've said, again, you're another bright light. So thank you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just going to press the stop now. Thank okay. you, Neil. That was lovely. Mm-hmm.